Hello and welcome to this week's Starts One Podcast with me, James York, and... I don't know. It's been so long I forgot my name. Welcome, Ted Knudsen. <laughs> how are you, Ted? Oh, hi. How, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm all right. I was in Denmark last week, uh, and now I'm back. And James, <laughs> James very briefly said, hey, I don't have anything to do at work. Uh, I've come at the end of a project, and so, uh, you know, if you guys have things that you want to take a look, you know, I've got a little bit of time. And then the snowball rolled down the hill and kept picking up snow and then smashed James. And he's still rolling with it, with it down a mountain, I believe. Yeah, no. That's how much work James suddenly has. Now I've got loads <laughs> to do. So you're lucky to get a podcast. But it was good, though, because it meant I wrote, I wrote a footnotes article that we've been kind of thinking about doing for ages, and that went on the site. It's and, so good. And that was cool, because people even, seemed to you be interested. You visualizations, James. I can do things. I know you can. You're, I, I enjoy when you, you know, reach out and expand your mind and maybe like you know marinate in a topic. <laughs> I have I have some 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 skills. Anyway, it doesn't matter. To those who don't know, I I've bugged James for months <laughs> to produce two different passing, and I I say months like they actually have been months to produce two different passing pieces. One of which was on pass height, which I think Devin Pluler sent me a message saying, "Hey, that's actually one of the coolest things that we've seen in." And, you know, recent times in analytics, at least at the, you know, just basic soccer stuff. It's just basic information. And the other one is this past footedness one. And James obviously has done a great job, which I knew he could. I have standards, Ted. <laughs> I try and live up to my standards anyway. I'm, I'm going to leave the banter out of that one and just uh, roll along with it. <laughs> so there's Champions League this week. <laughs> yeah, Champions League this week. My team, my boys, they're there. The first can you, time. Can you believe it? Yeah, first time. Well, like, let's not get ahead of it. The first time since 1962, I think you'll find. Oh, sorry. <laughs> do you not remember that? No. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I don't think, I'm not sure I did until I like, poked around. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> happened once, once, when it used to be hard to get into Football the didn't Cup. start with the Premier League era, James. Didn't you know yeah, that? It started mm. 15 years before I was born, apparently. But anyway. Um, <laughs> For those of us who like data, football started either in like 2009-10 or 2006-07, yeah. depending on what, what data you have access to. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> um, so, because we kind of reviewed and previewed the last round, and... It all looked really. It looked like you know it was, it was heavy favourites: Juve, Man City, Liverpool, Barcelona. And only two of them got through, so that was, you know, that's knockout knockout sport at its best in a way. I think. I'm and, I'm still reeling from the insanity of that Manchester City Tottenham game. It was pretty wild, and it, I, it's a bit like you know the White Walkers against the humans. I think you know Tottenham Hotspur humans. They, they <laughs> you know even even. Uh, even the White Walkers in Man City have the same color, at least in the eyes. So there you go. No and, and that's our only tie to modern, you know, culture that we're going to do on this because James doesn't watch the show. So yeah, it's an interesting mixed reaction to uh, <laughs> to this week's TV. But let's not worry about that. I enjoyed um, it while it was also a bit shit. That's my that's my take. I <laughs> think it could be two things. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. I think a few people have said similar things. Anyway, so yeah, um, let's talk about actual football. Ajax Tottenham. Tottenham have basically got they're, they're down to bare bones. Although I saw I saw a tweet earlier. Uh, I think Eric Van uh, Ten Hag was quoted as saying, um, 
like because Pochettino has been saying about uh, not having much rest and all this kind of thing because they had a heavy schedule, <laughs> and he's just saying it's not fair. And the Ten Hag was like, "I'll tell, you, give or take, I'll tell you what's not fair: <laughs> TV incomes for Tottenham versus us." <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's, that's a very fair point. There's, it hasn't done them any good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you, have, it's, you have to spend the money in order for that to be relevant. Yeah, I mean. This is Tottenham. They've got, they have got, like you know, enough players. They're just all injured at the moment, or suspended as well. Sun being suspended for this one, um, and yeah, kind of mid- midfield and striker been a, been a bit shredded. Oh, and Vincent Janssen, he's been popping up on the pitch the last couple of weeks. Uh, big Vinny, yeah, big Vinny, and he hasn't isn't even registered for the Champions League. So no. you got no Kane, Sun, or. Vinny, so it looks like Lorente will probably play tonight, I presume. You've got Lorente's elbow, that's the most important bit. <laughs> Which is kind of wild, he's been okay this year, but despite seeming, again, seemingly being a poor fit for the side, because he's so immobile. But Hang on a second, how are we defining okay? He has scored some goals, he has scored some goals. That's Okay, you know, some goals. some goals. Yeah. But he's 34 years old. <laughs> Just under league average uh, in terms of expected goals, despite the fact that he plays only as a sub, so he should be getting a boost on sub minutes. He is pretty decent in the air. His shot map is terrible. Is it really? <laughs> I've not looked at it. but <laughs> It's like all headers from six yards out or, or more. That's and, what he does. And one, <laughs> one red spot. So in the league, he's got one goal off of 21 shots and 2.63 expected. Um, I don't know how we're defining okay here, James, but I feel like this is a little loose. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He seems to be a nice guy. <laughs> this used to be a stats podcast. <laughs> he yeah. does have two goals in the Champions League. Exactly. Key man, key goals, Ted. Key goals, the one that, that snuck him through off his hip, hip stroke hand. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's all, you know, all, all interestingly set up. And, you know, Ajax have been pretty exciting this season and um, blown away expectations to get through you know however good Ajax are just to get through Real Madrid and then Juventus um, back to in back-to-back ties um, really really impressive and it's incredible um, uh, look it's, it just is it's a fantastic story um, they did it a bit off the back of bringing back some players uh, which mm. you have to be really careful with but these were good players so we, we've kind of talked about this in the past um, you know you don't always have to have you know the best young players, the best prospects, or even the you know, the best um, you know in prime talent. Sometimes you can get players that are way better than your team uh, or your league for a discount that are on the back end. But as long as they were really good, then that's absolutely fine, right? Mm. And yeah. we look at the the age distribution uh, on our, our little bar charts, and it's, it's kind of intriguing because like basically. Um, Ajax have a ton of youth. They have a great academy and continues to come through. Um, you know, plenty of guys that you're going to hear about on age 21 right now, 22s. Uh, Frankie de Jong's already left. Nears is probably going to uh, you know, go somewhere big this year. Donnie, you're out of your element. Van de Beek um, is, a, is also an interesting prospect. So like these are all 22s. And then uh, Delight is still 19, which is absurd, actually. And then you got the 26s. So Tagliafico, Ziyech. Um, Labiad is there, who I totally forgot about. And then we stretch out to the old dudes. So, like, 29 is Daily Blint. Uh, Tadic, who's been out of his mind good this year, is, is 30. Uh, Lasse Schöne, who's, like, been around the the league and the team forever, is, like, sort of a veteran. And then, finally, Klaus-Jan Dirk 
Huntalar, the hunter, uh, has about a thousand minutes. And, and it's like an interesting way to, to sort of build a squad profile, especially for what is, you know, consistently a development league. You have to be careful with these guys as they age out and make sure that they don't take up too much of your resources. But it certainly worked for Ajax, and it's a difference. Like, they've made a big difference in, in how their performances have been in the league this year. Isn't it, I think Blind and Tadish, obviously guys that come out of the Premier League, are interesting because they hit up. They pro, I'm, I don't know exactly. I think they were probably kind of late into deals or maybe... Uh, Maybe deals were expiring last year, and that's why they that why they went. But that that classic line of being like say twenty eight, twenty nine, and slightly down the pecking order, or maybe want to change, maybe want a bigger contract or a, you know a longer contract somewhere but just else. Just want to play. Yeah, and that that's yeah, Blint, I mean, Blint, you, you think Man United could maybe do with Blint in some ways, but it's uh, uh yeah, possibly that that moment where you have to kind of like uh, cut or or stick, and if you stick, you're on the hook for you know. Players 34, 33-year-old season and stuff, and obviously they've rocked up at Ajax and just been that little kind of soups on on the top. That's um, a bit, bit, bit of experience, bit of class. You know, we've said before, Tadic is a guy that consistently showed up at the high end of like kind of advanced passing metrics um, in the Premier League when he was there. And Blinds a Blinds an experienced and decent and versatile player and a and great and a great passer. Uh, he's, yeah, he's yeah. Genuinely good. And, and they, they still are fighting for their league. Uh, Ajax are 10 points or 10 goals clear, but on exactly the same points as PSV. Uh, so like, that's actually fascinating. The, the absurd thing is they have 111 goals in 32 games this year in their league. Well, this is, well, this is the trouble, isn't it? I mean, we've always had the, you know, the, the evolution of learning about Dutch football and stuff is, uh, you know, that Ajax and PSV and um, final to an extent will crush the rest of the league. And how good are the players that are doing the crushing when there's an obvious um, gap of quality? And um, I, I put a little thread up a little while ago, uh, I think after the last round, and it was just fascinating to me, just as a kind of like uh, stat indicator, how closely uh, Ajax's Champions League uh, like kind of stat, stat lines for all their players resembled their their lines in in their league, which was, I mean, I'm not making any high big proclamations here about uh about uh you know what you can take from that but it was it was genuinely interesting that they they kind of like replicated their kind of like statistical outputs in in very different quality uh, um against some very difficult tournaments and and yeah it feels unusual it feels like this isn't something that normally happens right um also like it felt like Juve just got run over um yeah it might be poor tactically as well like i i felt atletico so going back around before that Atletico's setup against Juventus was terrible. Like you needed to at least threaten the goal, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. They, they had no control of the game. They they went out there just to try and scrap for, you know, the the basically to, to slide through on on their defense, and like that didn't work for them. And we say that that's usually a pretty terrible idea for the most part. And then Juventus are out there in the second half of their game and against Ajax, and they just had no game control whatsoever. The, the press like really activated and, and came on. Ten Hag's an interesting coach because like we've been watching him pretty closely since the Utrecht days. And what was weird at Utrecht, and the reason why we did this was because Sebastian Haller was there, and he was a, a huge prospect for us. Um, and in fact, we were like the first... As far as I know, at least according to the agent at uh, Brentford, we were, we were the first people to, to really want to go after him and be able to sign him. Um, but the, the weird thing about his team there was that they were so slow in attack and possession. Now with this Ajax team, obviously, you know, they're scoring 111 goals against a fairly weak league. But maybe he's adjusted a bit um, and the, the press is 
we don't see many Dutch presses work very well. As a, it's just a truism. A lot of it has been man-to-man press. Uh, and the sacrifices you have to make in order to keep that system together, like LVG at Manchester United, mean that you know if you really care about the system, um, you sacrifice a lot of attack unless like you're facing weak opponents. And so they didn't they didn't attack very much. They just had their responsibilities defensively. Um, that hasn't seemed to necessarily be true at IX, and it's working uh, across or in the European sector this year. It's interesting to see if like this will continue on or if this is like the new revival of Dutch football, which has been in a reasonable trough up until the last 12 months. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, just, just moderately interesting aside, Tottenham played PSV in the group stages. PSV had a horrible time in the group stages. Uh, they drew 2-2 in Holland and then 1-2-1 at Wembley. Um, I remember watching, I think it was the Wembley game, uh, like Tottenham had 30 odd shots <laughs> and then even even the game they drew 2-2 which they shouldn't have drawn 2-2 they had 24 shots and I, at that time I remember watching it and thinking PSV were like the least suitable like the, prepared the worst of a, against Tottenham than any team I'd seen at that point in the season because they would, they just played their game which just played into Tottenham's hands and allowed Tottenham to kind of like you know, dominate. You know, had, we've all seen this game where Tottenham play a slightly weaker team and then just kind of like just keep bang, banging on the door and you right. know, until they get through. And, and we haven't seen as much of that this season. Although since Christmas, it's kind of turned around a little bit. At that time, watching Tottenham PSV, it felt like they just they they did never like never even thought how you should approach a game against Tottenham. And the the, the difference in class really really looked quite stark in those games even though one was drawn and the other one was only 2-1 that you know the shot counts were kind of you know 3-1 to one kind of thing in both games so yeah we really don't know what's going on going on here with the, with the Spurs are small underdogs to advance are they really I'm, how do you feel about that I can understand like just because Tottenham have kind of stripped of key players um, their defence should be alright Defense, Tottenham's defense is is pretty much fit, but every, everything in front of that is. We've had so many different like funny midfields, like Wanyama who's been out in the cold for ages. Like <laughs> he's played loads recently, and uh, you know, kind of Wanyama with Ali and Eriksson like either side of him. Or I mean, who knows how the formations run out? But you know, you know, there's, there's time and again like there's been this enforced kind of selection of like less less than two kind of defensively orientated midfielders, and. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to know. I th- like I said, I think Lorente will probably just have to play just because there's there's no one else who's. I mean, he could play Lucas Moore. Anyway, these are, this is the minutiae. <laughs> it's it's going to be fascinating. Um, and much like the other tie, it is a coin flip. I think really, you know, you you're you're not veering very far away from that. Um, well, Spurs are like ninety percent to get through uh, to the Champions League, regardless. So, like, in fact, they probably mm. should have should have potentially rested even more this weekend. Uh, just looking at the the way that things you know, worked out, but they didn't know that, right? They had the mm. they had the first game against West Ham, as opposed to like knowing that everybody else was going to shit the bed, which we'll get to. Um, yeah, I think that there's a little bit of me wonders if there's a chance that Spurs could sort of physically dominate this matchup uh, in a way that the past teams haven't because I think, you know, Real Madrid, a bit of a mess. Uh, Juventus, a bit old. And and for whatever reason, that second half went really weird on them. Um, I don't see them as small underdogs, but maybe small favorites. Like, I don't know if it's enough to to make a, a wager on the, the two advanced, but it feels like that's probably the way that I would do it. I have a definite opinion on the next match. <laughs> okay then, let's switch. Let's switch to that one. 
Liverpool Barcelona, which is you know exactly the kind of tie. Not nothing against Tottenham PSV, but uh, sorry, Tottenham Ajax. I don't think Tottenham or Ajax are the best team in Europe. Now Liverpool and Barcelona are certainly in that conversation. Um, alongside Man, alongside Man City, prob- probably as like who is the best team in Europe. Uh, you know they're certainly top five in in Europe and yeah. How do you, how do you see this when you say you have a strong opinion, Ted? I do actually. So I I think at, at all the positions except for the Lionel Messi one, like Liverpool are actually better. I generally wouldn't disagree, and I'm intri- I'm intrigued by Liverpool recently. Well, maybe, well, maybe not all the positions. I think there's a centre back that I I would waffle on, right? And Jordi Alba's probably a better left back than Robertson, but it's way closer than I would have ever expected. <laughs> um, but like, if you take it as a, as a whole, so the the betting line on this is uh, one point seven five Barcelona to advance, uh, two point one four um, Liverpool to advance. So what are we looking at? Maybe like a fifty five percenter or so. Um, yeah, I don't I don't see that as <laughs> as correct. I think that <clears throat> Liverpool have been so good and consistently so good that there's a messy factor in this line, and that's that's where I'm at. So I don't I don't think that that's right. I think I think I have Liverpool. I've basically flipped this line. So I think that Liverpool should be you know Barcelona's element of um, probability to advance on that one. Yeah, no, I don't think I disagree with that. Actually, I think just Liverpool's you know Liverpool's overall coherence and the you know the fact that they're such a they're such a strong unit and the fact that they've played well but there's been periods of time in this season where Barcelona have not played well they've turned into a bit of a kind of like grindy result kind of uh, club but there's plenty of times where they've gone gone away to teams and had like seven or eight shots which is not what you kind of expect from uh, Barcelona you know historically especially in La Liga but um, there have been a number of games where they have not had game control uh, whether it's through the midfield or not, we look at their their defense this year, at least their defensive numbers this year in the league, and they're they're probably the worst that we've seen in in the data era. Um, it's not saying that they're not getting results, like, but I think this is certainly enhanced by the fact that that Spain is like really really strange this year across like any number of different teams having strange results and stuff. So like Barcelona have have walked to the league again. But that mm. it's like a down year. If somebody were like weirdly good this year, like Barcelona might have had to compete against Valencia or something like that or Sevilla for the league title. That didn't quite happen, so they they managed to back into that. But I think that what we're seeing in the numbers is also reflected in the in the performances from what you're seeing as well. And Liverpool are are a huge threat in attack, like huge. Um, yeah. You know, can can Valverde and and Barcelona you know adjust and and try and control that? Sure. But it's certain, like, yeah, I think that across most of the positions on the pitch, Liverpool are slightly more talented at this point in time. Uh, we'll see how that works out, though. Here you go. I'll, I'll give you something. I don't think I was looking at this yesterday. I don't think I've said it to you yet. Your boy Naby, Naby Keita, who's had, like, a bit of a, um, like, stop-start season uh, this year. I was looking at his, looking at some of his, um, like, kind of pressing numbers, and his, like, we got, like, kind of Gagan presses, which are quick presses within five seconds and stuff. Since he's been back in the team this month, this this boy's putting up some numbers there. He looks, Tell me, he looks good. Like uh, he, I think 
three or four, t- three last five games he started that he started. I think three of them he's like led the team for like kind of these gagan pressy things. And the other one, one of the other ones he was second. Like one of them, even at the weekend against Huddersfield, where they just didn't have to do anything. Is it because it's Huddersfield? They they scored after seconds, and you know they it was. Naby scored after seconds, right? It yes. was off of his. It was off <laughs> yes. his destruction, and then and then goal. Yes, and they, now this is it. So he's got three goals in five games, and like his his kind of like defensive activity like quick pressing numbers have, have suddenly like become notable within this team and it's like okay that's the player that they signed and it's only five games it's only a small little sample of well for the rest of the season he's been the the Liverpool leader and one of the league leaders in ball progression by by some distance as well uh, you know I, I think that people had different expectations for him coming into this team uh, I think that Klopp has played his midfield way more conservatively this year than he has in the past. He's protected Van Dyke, etc., a little more, partly because his attack is so good that they don't have to press in the same way, and you know they're they are definitely sacrificing some element of attack in many cases to to make sure that the opposing team just has cannot really threaten them that often. And you know, Naby was brought in as as a high scoring eight, almost a ten. But the year before, uh, you know, so the first year that he came on our radar, he was by far the, the sort of best defensive output player in, at Red Bull Salzburg. And this was probably four or five years ago. So like 2014, 15. And we were like, wow, this guy is amazing. And uh, we couldn't afford him at the time, but he just lit up all of the, the initial flags. And then the next year, he was the best attacking midfielder in that league. And like, that's yeah. just weird. Um, so I think when he came into Liverpool, like Klopp actually has has relied a lot on his defensive side and and let him sort of get into the league and learn it. I think they've loosened up a bit in in recent weeks, uh, and he's playing more of an attacking role, and you're seeing him score more goals. Uh, but yeah, he's got everything in in his in his backpack effectively, and it's it's really a matter of like how they want to use him tactically. I think he struggled a little bit with injuries to start with. And yeah, I, I, I his, won- he had a back injury that, like, I watched him through one game and it looked like for about a 20-minute period he couldn't move. Yeah, I wonder how long that kind of, like, that hung over into, into his, his season. But, like I say, Liverpool, Liverpool, this is something I think Liverpool have, have like, I, I did. A, I tweeted this the other day. I think Liverpool, under Klopp, every season Liverpool have like learnt a new thing. And the thing that they seem to have learnt this season is is to like not go mental, crazy, pressing hard like throughout the first half of the season. Save a bit. And like if you actually look at their recent games, like that Chelsea game, uh, they they would the way Chelsea play kind of like fits into like Liverpool kind of hitting them high up the pitch and pressing them and stuff. So it's you know it's almost like the perfect match for that. But Liverpool really went at them and really hit them hard and our num- they kind of lit up our numbers um for like pressure events and stuff in that game. And it just it feels like they're coming coming home with a rare rattle this season. And um if that's that's the one thing that I I'd kind of take out of Liverpool recently is is that the the energy uh, that you know may have not been uh, quite there to the same extent earlier in the season. It feels like it is, and of course, of course, that's smart, right? Because Liverpool are a good, good team. They will, they will be be able to beat plenty of teams without, you know, the kind of being the full-on kind of counter-press side. Um, you don't have to use that in every, you know, to, to the max in every game. But if you've got it and you you need to win every game to have a shot of the league, and you're in the Champions League quarterfinals, semi-finals, final, and you've got like you know your absolute. Um, most kind of like physically adept team at this part of the season yeah 
that's what you want, right? So well, they they've narrowed the goal difference too. I thought yeah. the goal difference was like a one, a, you know, just a, a finished race. But actually, Manchester City are at plus sixty eight. Liverpool are now at plus sixty four. Right? Obviously, five goals at home against Huddersfield in the weekend help. But you know, that's what happens when you play Huddersfield. Um, so yeah, it's, it's probably a good. I don't want to spend too much time on the top two. I think it's completely remarkable that Liverpool are still here given kind of yeah, what's is. happened this year and their, their their goal difference off of set pieces as I flagged up in a piece on Friday is really one of the things that in that phase of the game there's something like plus 11 before the weekend uh, versus City which is enough to keep them in it you know like that that goal difference would be massive uh, if it if they weren't if they were like even even um, and and City would probably be like far and away the the title um, 92 points with two matches left is, is City. 91 with two matches left is Liverpool. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is wild. I mean, again, I, I've I've said this a few times, and I I don't want to denigrate Liverpool's achievements at all because they've been fantastic. But like, if I scour through the numbers and kind of poke at it, pick at it, like, you know, Man Man City are the best team in this league and Liverpool are the second best team in this league and there's a massive massive gap to anyone else but like that to my mind on the on the numbers uh like that's that's clear so it's it's difficult because if you presume if you, you know, if you presume they kind of go again if you ran this if you've simulated this season over and over again I feel like Man City would uh like Man City would win it like significantly more often than Liverpool would or um, <laughs> Your model has holes in it that don't <laughs> reflect what Liverpool's doing. You don't fully understand some of the edges. I, I, I'm throwing that out there. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I, I was experimenting, trying to find out because uh, you know we've got in our data we've got um, uh, defensive positioning on all shots and, and attacking positions in our freeze frames. Right. All right. I was looking. I was poking around at this last night because I think there's some interesting insights if we can get there. And I was trying trying to find something to do with like proximity of defenders, right? And this is very this is very speculative because I can't really I can't really say much much about it too too much yet because I need to do lots more work on it to kind of get an idea about it. But like uh, when Van Dyke is close <laughs> to the shooter, uh, the difference between goals and expected goals like of those shots is bigger than anyone in the league. And it and that makes me right now. Okay, is we Van don't like, oh, is Van for Dijk... clarity. We don't have any sort of skill factor in this particular expected <laughs> goals model. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, right? So what is 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 he in some way causing like uh like these got you know is he he us- blocks out the usually sun effect? Yeah, we're or talking it... about the player of the year here. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Or. The, or is it how much of this is is just natural variance of uh, you know some these things these things happen? Look, we, we know it with round keepers like David De Gea, who's actually had quite a good season. He's mm. had, had a miserable kind of like month. Anyway, anyway, like I say, this is I I just poked it and I was like, oh my god, Van Dyke's at the top of this list, <laughs> and it just made me think. So I've, I may return to it and look further. But it did interesting things, you know. Did, how much has gone your way? How much is is skill? All the eternal problems that we we investigate around football. Anyway, anyway. Well, these these are both league winners in something. Like, given any sort of reasonable return off the next two games, like, they're going to be league winners in something like ninety percent of the past Premier Leagues, maybe even ninety five percent. They might be. <laughs> yeah. They might be two of the best five teams ever in terms of points in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. Which is happening in the same season. Absolutely staggering. Uh, 
Let's let's move on down the table though, because I, I know that we will come back to this at the end of the season when we talk about it. I'm gonna pose you a question that I think well, yeah. Um I think that, that this is important in a number of ways because it goes back to some early season stuff, but also some things we talk about within the last two weeks, I guess. Maybe it's just really hard for teams to compete across a number of different European competitions and to be really good consistently in the Premier League. Is that yeah. possible to explain <laughs> this sort of third to six mess where everyone seems to be trying to, yeah. it's like wacky races across the finish line? Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely part of it. And, you know, as I said about Tottenham, like their, their squad is run, run a little thin. Uh, well, injuries, I don't think the squad is number wise then but like injuries. But when you have more games you have more injuries. It's 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 like almost Yeah, that's true. A pure correlation there. If you have more games you have more likelihood to get injured. Some players have have different numbers on their dice. So like say you've got a six-sided die and and some guys, you know, if you roll a 1 to 3 like they they never get injured. If you roll a four or five, then it's a small injury. If you roll a six, then it's a you know it's something that's significant, right? Um, some guys as they they build up injury history, like you know suddenly it, it creeps up, and a five or six is a more significant, and then a three and a four are are a moderate one, and then the ones and twos the only safe ones. So you know we're thinking maybe Harry Kane's dice have have rejigged and, and his outcome tables in the in the Dungeons and Dragons space have uh, have changed a little bit but if you just play more games you roll more dice and more guys get injured period that's how it works yeah chelsea man united is a good example isn't it at the, at the weekend where i think it was rudiger and Bay went off, both went off kind of you know looking like their season's done and stuff and yeah the, the, most of these teams um have been on a brutal stretch of kind of um midweek weekend um i think tottenham are on like this match tonight is like their seventh out of ten kind of like midweek weekend Premier League Champions League. you know there's no FA Cup or anything in there to just kind of you know run the kids or anything it's it's literally every game really matters um so that yeah that's definitely an aspect of it I think um something something that kind of has with regards to the top four race everyone's wondering why they're crap in the bed all these teams and uh, struggling struggling to get points and get over the line uh, for certainly from the numbers perspective like these Arsenal um I think in attack Arsenal, Man United and Tottenham certainly like in the first half of the season maybe like leaning into you know a little bit further on kind of ballooned over what what you'd expect like goals wise and to a certain extent in defence um, it feels like that's right in itself over time uh, you know some kind of reversion I think when you look at the league table at the end of the end of the season it will actually look it'll look as a far better reflection of what we understand to be like the underlying qualities of these teams i.e. Liverpool Man City way better than the rest of the, re- the rest kind of mm, not so good and but remember, so it's worth flagging that the traditional media were, were saying oh this is the, the absolute era of Premier League dominance over the rest the top six are just so far and away better than everyone <laughs> else and I mean, the top six are better but that was a weird period, and we talked about on this podcast that <clears throat> you know that doesn't seem like it's at all sustainable or even reality. You know that's that feels like a lot of luck inside of there. But like that's not how people see it, or that's not how they write about it. At least uh, you know someday I think we'll we'll kind of like beat this out of the narrative at some point, and there'll be just like one or two older 
sports writers that are covering this and just like, look at the aura of this player. Look at, you know, that these teams are hugely dominant. Now they're stumbling across the finish line, partly because, you know, possible fatigue, but also just variance. Like they're not as good as they, they suggested early in the season. And then they're not even close. Like to give an example, in goals against right now, what do we have? We've got Arsenal are mid-table in goals against at 49, yeah. and Manchester United are one below that at 51. Above them are Crystal Palace, Leicester, the much maligned Leicester for most of the year. Yeah, yeah. Newcastle, who don't have an attack, but, you know, grinding it out. Everton, only 44 this year, and Wolves at 44. Now, think about that for a second. These are <laughs> these are teams where, you know, the media's battered these guys uh, for, for this and that on a weekly basis. And they've given up fewer goals than than the top two giants who have spent so much more on players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. Arsenal are negative shots. You know, they take fewer shots than they allow. You know, Pardon me while I throw up on my microphone. That's not good. <laughs> that's just, you know, however you want to frame it, you know, if you want to dig into these things, that fundamentally is not the sign of a quality team. <laughs> you know, Man, Man City Ooh. take Man City and Liverpool take like seven or ten like or ten, seven, eleven shots more than the opposition week in, week out. Arsenal Th- this is do that, not. <laughs> this is that year where I hated LVG's team and I was like, oh my God, Sam Allardyce's Sunderland. Sunderland <laughs> take more shots per game than Manchester United. Yeah. That's where Arsenal are right now. Yeah, now, yeah. <laughs> like their goal difference is pretty decent. They've played well against the big teams. They do not dominate small teams, especially away from home, and they look like they have no fucking clue what's going on tactically. Now, as an Arsenal fan, I can say this. This is my frustration. There, this is not sort of clean analysis. <laughs> this is just me being like, ah, oh, this is so frustrating. And yet, the points are seventy for Tottenham. Tottenham, uh, Chelsea at 68, Arsenal at 66, and United at 65. So, like, there's still a race for that fourth spot. Yeah, there is. I I will say, um, you know, like, obviously the strong narrative last season when Man United came second was, like, Man United ain't no second-best team in this league. <laughs> and they weren't last season. I mean, they finished second. That's the eternal argument between the traditionists and our stats people. <laughs> they finished second to so the second-best team. No, they're not. Yeah, they're, they're back. We go. And now Arsenal, Arsenal are the team most primed to like you know if they re- again if you like repeat repeat the season, etc. Uh, etc. Et they don't look like the fifth best team in this league. They're pointing down. They, you know, they they pointing downwards. Something has to change significantly, and they have to improve significantly across the summer. Uh, be it with new signings, uh, new strategies, ideas, whatever it is. But you know, considering considering how much um, how much flack Wenger got at the end, and with some you know justification, certainly that you know they were not not good at times. It doesn't feel like we've moved on that far this, no, this year. No, it, it, and, and we looked at it and didn't think that they would improve much. Some of their, their signings don't make any difference. Dennis Suarez goes home on loan, having basically not appeared in the team almost at all, uh, which, again, we said. It's it's weird stuff going on there. Um, as, you know, I'm not going to hammer this too far, but we've talked a number of times about how some of these teams just need a much better plan, need to need to institute a lot more clarity in their vision and how they're executing. Um, speaking of which, if you uh, we still have set piece slots open and introduction to analytics slots open for our courses. So if you want to learn more about what we do, 
That's great. And for those of you who work for professional football teams who are listening to this, of which I keep finding out there are more and more, um, <laughs> we will take we're taking applications for teams that want to work with us in the set piece space um, on on a weekly basis. We're pretty good at it. Well, I won't say we're pretty good. We're very good compared to almost everybody else. Uh, whether we're good in in absolute terms versus what we could be in the future is an interesting one. But uh, those will close as of May thirty first. Uh, we'll we'll make a decision as to who we want to work for for next season. So if you are interested in getting help in this phase of the game, which is huge, and you can get a lot out of it, uh, you know, get in touch. Also, there's that piece that talked about our Denmark analysis that we did uh, on the site for fr- or that was on Friday, um, basically saying Denmark's really weird. Like they actually execute set pieces across the board with their good teams and their bad teams, and they found holes that none of these other teams have found. So, like that's kind of a big deal. Uh, do you have a pick for who's going to finish where, James? Uh, well, it's Tottenham and Chelsea, and that's where they're sat right now. And I think I, you're right. I want that to happen, right? I, I don't for, want that to happen, <laughs> but I think you're right. Forget my allegiances, which are obviously, you know, I could talk of via my allegiances. Via my, I want the league table to line up via metrics, philosophy, Tottenham and Chelsea. I think they're the second, sorry, the third and fourth best teams in this league. I think that is a, I think that is f- true, and therefore they should finish third and fourth. I think... <laughs> Chelsea have a bit of a tricky last two games, uh, including at Leicester to, to wrap things up. Arsenal have Brighton at home, which should be a cakewalk, but you never know right now. And then Burnley away. And, and man, that is, that is not the game that you want to sweat <laughs> for, for Arsenal fans at Burnley on the last day of the season. Uh, Burnley will save. The, the nice part for United is they have Huddersfield and Cardiff, both of whom are basically relegated. Um, you know, there's a chance if if things go like recent weeks that United could completely fall bass backwards into a, a Champions League spot. Yeah, he's not ruling it out. It's funny, isn't it? Because yeah, Arsenal and Man United, they they literally look one win short, and they've won one out of their last five games each. And that's you know, it's it's crazy. You get to this point of the season, and you know, they neither of them has managed to you know put together. Um, I mean, okay, Man United's last couple of games were tough, but they, they are winnable games otherwise. And Arsenal have had certainly, you know, if if Arsenal are the fifth best team in this league, then they had have had games that they could have won that they have not won, and it's just mad how they, you know, they're kind of tripping over the line. And you know, even even Tottenham have struggled at times. I think that's more about injuries. But it, it's interesting now, like you know, as we come to the end of the season, a couple of teams go on a good run. People are looking at Wolves. People are looking at Leicester. Leicester obviously got a great. Um, uh, great um, kind of bunch of young players that they've brought in, and crash, congratulations to Mladen Sormaz who's gone in there to do some Yay. analytics. Uh, that's bomb. <laughs> X, that's bomb contributor. I, lo- I love that. And football whispers and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, he's done lo- loads of things, but he wrote for the site back in the day, so I'm always pleased when people do well off, off the back of that. Um, and yeah, you know, people looking at these teams, maybe even Everton now, who've been on a well, slightly better run in this side of the season. And you look and you're thinking, right, okay, if, say, Arsenal and Man United are potentially vulnerable going forward, which one of these teams can step forward? And I think. Only one of them is currently scoring long throw goals from what I've seen. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> That's a little little tweak that we've started to see with Everton, isn't it? They've All right, got so we, we got we got like 10 minutes left here on this giant Stats Bomb Catch-Up podcast, yeah. and I want to talk about other places' chaos. Like England on, this year has chaos, 
And it's not just talking about the political situation. Uh, <laughs> it's also discussing the leagues. So championship is is mostly sorted out, but this is sorting itself out by the last game. Uh, Norwich and Sheffield United uh, finally, you know, guaranteed promotion. Leeds had an incredibly weird game against Aston Villa this weekend. Um, the other, the the, the un, unresolved is is Derby. Middlesbrough and maybe a little bit Bristol City for that last playoff space as it exists right now and as probably most likely to happen it'll be Leeds Derby in the first match if you remember the, yeah. the Frank Lampard and uh and Bielsa perfect and uh oh also congratulations to Norwich who pretty cool well-run club we've been talking to them for ages and ages um and they they've got some some good analysts there um that, that you know we've seen around the way uh and then the other the other matchup is a is a, is a derby it's a, it's west yeah. brom versus aston villa in a midlands derby the for a playoff and and for the the trip to wembley yeah hopefully that that main change there i don't think yeah i mean it, it could shift around a little bit but if, if you've got Leeds derby and west brom and aston villa as a playoff derby, that would be the perfect setup um, relegation's done, isn't it? I'm just looking at that. You yeah, look at, well, uh, no, yes, it is. yes, it is. Okay, yeah, it's done now. Yeah, Rotherham, Bolton, and Ipswich going down. Um, did you want us to talk League One quickly? It was a bit of a wild league, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean, all of them are wild leagues. And I <laughs> I, I was at um, Leighton Orient this weekend, got to see them get promoted. I think it's the first time I've seen someone get promoted in, in person. Um, been invited out there. Uh, and that was that was cool. It's a it's a cool stadium. It actually reminds me a lot of like a slightly more modern Griffin Park, and that mm. is like nestled in the middle of uh, of sort of a London neighborhood and about nine thousand fans, I think there. Um, mm. So, but like they only the, the the hardest promotion outside of Championship to Premier League in like the England league structure is probably that conference or English national league into the the league itself, yep. uh, which would go to League Two because there's only one automatic. And and Salford City, I don't know if you've seen this in like the last month, but their accounts for last year came out. They're spending fantastic amounts of money from that class of '92 group and uh, and Lim as well. Um, so they did not get automatically promoted, and they've got to go through the playoff structure, which is always chaos. And only two teams, I think, go up too. So yeah, that that'll be interesting. So anyway, um, League One, <laughs> League One seemed like it was mostly dusted at the top, and then Luton have kind of stumbled their way to the finish. Uh, like mm. like a marathoner that that had sort of put twenty five really good miles in, and then unfortunately that last one is is grinding out. So it's Luton and and Barnsley tied at the top, having played forty five. So one match left, ninety one points. Uh, Luton had the goal difference, uh, forty six. But then Portsmouth are there, and they've got a goal in hand, and they are a game in hand, and they will play uh, this midweek. Sunderland also play this midweek, having faced each other the weekend and drawn in a tight one. So Portsmouth have 87 points, so four points behind Barnsley, uh, but two games left. So like that, that's a little dicey. Uh, Charlton also on 85 points. So like the top of that league has been really yeah. quite good. That's and insane, then, isn't it? Five teams basically that you know all will have had you know half an eye on that set, at least certainly that second um, promotion spot. Uh, once you know, we presume Luton 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know why I've gone a little bit quiet, but that's hell yeah. of a battle, isn't it? For Yeah, and then like Doncaster are there at, with 70 and probably in the playoffs, but Petersburg have two game or Peterborough have two games uh, left at 66. So like, you know, even the playoffs aren't quite dusted. Um and then you go down to the bottom and, and it felt like most of the league was possibly going to get relegated this Yeah, uh, there was for, there was some fun with that, wasn't there? There was a the tweet that went around when there was about 12 teams in within the, about, what, a win or something. <laughs> not the top 20 podcast, right? Those guys are great, George and, uh, and Ali. Uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, still, the 20th player. Hang on. Uh, Wimbledon have 49 at the moment. Um, Wickham have 50 and a good goal difference. Uh, so Wimbledon are in 19th place. Southend are in 20th at 47. And the bottom four teams get relegated. Plymouth Argyle have 47, having lost all of their recent matches. <laughs> uh, Walsall are in 46, and Scunthorpe are in 46. Walsall lifeline at the weekend. They had to win and did. That was amazing. I tell you, what, I, I, I don't want Plymouth to go down. Plymouth, Plymouth is the, the league club that's nearest to my birthplace, because contrary to your Wales, no, <laughs> contrary to your repeated <laughs> suggestions, I'm not actually Welsh. But there we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, and I'm Cornish, so, so I've I've Celtic roots. There you go. Yeah, I was in Corn Cornwall uh, for Easter holidays. Lovely down there, and we actually had good weather, which I think is the first time we've ever had. That. Uh, league two, quickly before we wrap. Um, Congratulations to Lincoln, definitely getting promoted there. But then Bury on 77, uh, Mansfield Town on 76, Milton Keynes Don on, Don's on 76, Forest Green Rovers on 73. Uh, oh, I think yeah. the top three go up there. So yeah, like yeah. that makes that a, a pretty interesting final final bit. Bury should be, say, you no, know, because 70, yeah. Even Tranmere, Tram they've, they've got two games left, so they could get to 72, exactly. Somehow. You know, so that's, that's wide open in the last week. Speaking of places allegedly near to your birthplace, uh, Exeter City uh, are also there at 69. But then Colchester, 67. Carlisle, 67. Stephen is 67. Newport County, 67 with a game in hand. Um, that's mad, isn't it? Again, that's eleventh <laughs> yeah, out of the twenty fourteen league. They've all got a like, you know, small shot of uh, of something. The seasons aren't over. Yeah, that last day that's going to be absolutely wild, isn't it? And then at the bottom, Yeovil, who's not too far from me here in Bath, are thirty nine and definitely getting relegated. Uh, but then Notts County, who's really quite large financially, could find themselves dumped into uh, the Conference National League structure. Uh, and Macclesfield Town at forty three. Uh, so that's yeah, Sol, isn't it? Sol's at Macclesfield. Oh yes, that's right. Sol Campbell, like the, 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 has he done a good job? Hasn't he done a good job? Literally, could be decided in like one game at the end. But you know, so the England has by far like well the most I guess well supported lower league structure in in, in world football. And I was talking to somebody, and, and they're just like, it's amazing how well they're able to monetize even down to, to those leagues. Um, so yeah, it's it pretty cool. Uh, lots of stuff going on this weekend. And uh, if you're a fan of football at all, maybe just follow along because I'm sure like there are Leighton Orient fans coming out of the woodwork from last weekend, including I think James Masters who flew 3,000 miles and back in order to watch them get promoted back into the league. Uh, I talked a little bit to their their ownership about what happened and basically they took over from a very poor previous owner and uh, on the day they took over they had like nine youth players under contract and that was effectively it as they've been relocated into the conference and since then they've had to you know just completely rebuild the structure the money the the pitch all sorts of things so uh, it's a pretty cool story um anyway so we are out of time for the stats one podcast i think we've covered yep. just about everything we possibly could 
we did a lot, Ted. It was good. If we talk too fast, that's why. Uh, for those of you, just slow down how quickly you listen to us. Don't listen to us on double speed this week, just 1.5. <laughs> All right, then. Okay, till the next time. Cheers, bye.